Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. Amen. How are you this morning? Good. It's great to see all of you. If you would turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, we're going to be continuing this morning. As Pastor Alex said, um, we're going to be taking communion at the end of the service in response to our sermon or our text today. And so if you haven't gotten the opportunity to grab one of our, uh, our, our communion packets, um, fully enclosed, not touched by any human being, very safe for you. Uh, go ahead and grab one. You can just jump outside out of either of the doors. They'll have them there. Um, if you're joining us online uh, for worship this morning, uh, prepare the elements at home as uh, we'll be doing some response and reflection at the end of the message uh, with taking communion together as a church family as we reflect on Christ uh, together. And so I want to ask you a couple questions before we dive in, as I often do. The question is this. Uh, How would you talk about your country, uh, the leader of your country, if you saw and experienced people uh, that you know and loved being murdered, maybe torn to pieces literally because they were followers of Jesus? How would you respond to your country or the leader of your country if you saw and experienced people you loved this actually happening to them? What do you think that you would tell uh, your children about this leader or your neighbors How would you interact with them or share about uh, the government that you're living in or the country you're living in and their leaders? How would you approach those who held a different view than yours? Maybe those that are even uh, attending the same house church that you are part of. So it's not quite like this, like Woodside Lake Orion or many other churches where there may be hundreds of people, but a house church where you sit across from them at the table as you celebrate communion together. How would you involve yourself in civic civic matters uh, or cultural matters if you saw this happening before you. Well, that tension is the tension that the biblical writers of the New Testament faced, even Peter faced as he was penning first and second Peter. As the first century moved forward, Christians uh, in the Roman Empire, if you want to read up on history, they weren't looked on very good. Even Roman citizens, if they were Christians, uh, did not find their government being a warm, hospitable place Uh, for their faith. Instead, they were found in a country where they lived, where it was hostile. It was a pagan culture, uh, ready to assault or blame or even dismantle uh, their lifestyles or their Christian beliefs because solely they believed in Jesus Christ as their God rather than Caesar at the time. So, how would you, if you live there, engage, live, speak, in, the, in a political culture like that. It's interesting, even our culture, while not quite hostile uh, physically towards believers, um, our culture is waging a war back and forth constantly. And what I want to wrestle with today and just kind of dive in in our passage today at how should a Christian live in a society of a pagan culture? How do we have civil engagement dealing with our neighbors, responding um, and living with people in the culture that we live in, in the neighborhoods we live in, even in the church that we call home with people that we disagree with? 
Well, that's exactly what Peter's dealing with today in our text. And honestly, I, I haven't been looking forward to this sermon. Uh, we plan our sermons at Woodside about a year in advance. We just got done planning all of 2021, and we knew this passage was coming around this time, such a time as this. And while pastors sometimes look forward to messages, other times he doesn't necessarily look forward to what they're going to share because it's quite challenging for such a time that we are living in. But I firmly believe with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength that God has given this message for this season, for this time, in this moment. And what Peter has to share for the church, the church that is dispersed, Living in that culture, Peter has something fantastic to say to each one of us today, including myself, as I've been wrestling with this for some months and diving in and praying. So I, I just ask, I know we've prayed a couple times already in the service. I want to pray and ask that the Spirit of God would have our hearts in these moments and would use my mouth and my tongue to speak articulately what exactly he has to share from his word and that our hearts would be receptive to what is said uh, in this moment. So would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word, how it's alive. It's sharper than a double-edged sword, Lord. It cuts to our soul. It speaks culturally. It's relevant for us today as much as it was relevant for them when the penning of it happened. It's good for us, God. It's it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's, and it's so freeing when we find ourselves subject to it, Lord, and we give ourselves fully to it. So, Lord, I ask that those watching online or those in this room or all of us collectively across Woodside Bible Church would take 1 Peter in this section, these four quick verses, and just apply them to our heart and our soul and our mind with the coming week that it would, it, would, it would cause us to think deeply about who we are and who our king is and how you, Jesus, our king, have called us to live in such a time as this. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Woo us. We pray this in a powerful name of Christ. Amen. Well, we've been in a series for the last number of weeks. We only have a, like this week and another week left to, to land the plane before we jump into some Christ, uh, Christmas stuff, Thanksgiving stuff, and even hear from some vision stuff next week. But we've been in a series, if you haven't been joining us, you haven't been here, you haven't been watching online, in a series called Unshakable. And we've been looking at the first two uh, chapters of First Peter, uh, where we as Christians, and they as Christians, are in the midst of a secular world, a pagan world that is not a believing world, and Peter is instructing them, as much as us, how to live as followers of Jesus, as sojourner, sojourners and exiles in the world that they're living in, but live distinct holy lives, different, but hear me on this, while being fully engaged and immersed into the culture with which, the world with which that we find ourselves, just as they were. And he's calling them to live distinct yet immersed. So uh, maybe we could call this distinctive immersion, or like Jesus said, he's calling us to be a part of the world or in the world, but not of the world, the way that Jesus worded it. So very much so, we as followers of Jesus are called to be involved in all of the different cultural nuances of the world around us for the common good and the glory of Jesus. 
But at the same time, we're not of this world. We are exiles looking and longing for our home that is yet to come. So how are God's people, and this is what we're going to see today, how are God's people to live distinct lives yet immersed in the, and engaged in the culture around them? Today, out of all of our texts, I want to call you to be a good citizen. As we see that God's people are good citizens of the place that God has planted them to live. And we're only going to look at a few verses, but we're going to look at some ways in which God has called us to be good citizens, maybe three practices, if you would, um, uh, how to live this way in the world that God has called us. So if you look with me in in chapter 13, we're going to be looking at chapter 13, or excuse me, verse 13 through 14 this morning together. And this is what it says in, in the first two verses, verse 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. You already see where we're going here. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Pretty straightforward text. So the first thing we see is, for God's sake, submit to your rulers. So play on word there. But for God's sake, for, for God's sake, for the kingdom's sake, submit to your rulers. And the first practice we see that's um, unmistakable in our text, I mean, there's no loophole through this one unless you rip this one out of, you know, this page out of your, 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 your scripture, excuse me, is to submit to our rulers. The authoritative, God-spoken, God-breathed text of scripture is explicitly clear here even though many times we like to find loopholes of obedience to this passage. And we're going to go a little bit further with it even today. And so the apostle Peter is writing, and he's he's telling us how to live in relationship to the public square, how we're supposed to actually specifically live in regards to government, how we're specifically called to live with the authorities that God has placed over us, and his word declares very straightforward be subject to every human institution. Now, the, the, the word here, subject, the verb in Greek, means this to be in submission or a submissive relationship with, and you even go as far as to be obedient towards every authority placed over you by God. Now, God, God spells it out. It's pretty clear with great clarity to be in submission, obedience, uh, and live distinct. This is how we live distinct holy lives, is that we would be submissive to the governmental leaders that has been placed over us. Now, this is interesting. Now, this is where it gets a, a touch interesting, where the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter tells the, the, the church that is dispersed all over the place to be submissive to the emperor as supreme. Now, that's super, super crazy. Or the governors that are sent out to oversee certain regions of the area. Now, I tell you that's crazy because this is a staggering charge when you consider the context of 1 Peter in the day that they are living, specifically calling Christians to be obedient to the leaders that are placed over them. So, here quick, just with me. Most scholars believe that 1 Peter was written around AD 62 or 63, and he's writing from... No other place than the city of Rome. So who is the emperor that Peter is speaking about for them to place themselves under? I am assured that perhaps maybe this guy is a conservative, pro-life, perhaps even Christian emperor. He loves believers. 
He wants to see them thrive and flourish. No, actually, that's not the case. It's quite the opposite, actually. The emperor of Rome at this time is none other than notorious, arrogant, sexually immoral, violent, persecuting Nero. This is the same Nero who actually burned the city of Rome to the ground, blamed it on Christians, and then went about burning them alive in the public square as followers of Jesus. This is who Peter is saying for them to place themselves under. We're not talking about Peter calling them to submit themselves under government that they agree with. No, God's commanding his people to live in submission under government that they object to. That is an offense to them. That is burning them in the streets. Now the question must be asked, like, why? And hold with me here for a moment. This is challenging. This is challenging for me as a pastor. I'm sure it's challenging for you. Why would we submit to these evil, oppressive kinds of governmental leaders? Well, the text says a couple reasons, ultimate reason in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. That our submission, obedience goes above and beyond our leaders. It actually goes to submission and obedience to the Lord himself. That when we demonstrate our allegiance to Christ, when we actually submit ourselves under the authority that Christ has placed above us. And the opposite true is when we are not subject to the governing authorities that God has placed over us, we are bringing shame to the name of Christ in the places we live because at the end of the day, we have to understand that the governing, governing authorities that God has placed over us were placed by God. They were not placed there at random not as though God lost control of the world around him and finally said, you know what, fine, I've lost the control of this state or that state or this country. God is still in control. And when we follow in submitting ourselves under the God-given authority in our lives, it shows that we are submitting to Christ himself who has placed us in that place for this reason or that reason. The second one is in verse 14. Because of God's purpose in giving government or governing authorities. It's interesting. In this act, God is given common grace for all of humanity in placing governmental authorities. He's given common grace to all of humanity. We call common grace, like not special grace, the grace you receive to become a follower of Jesus, but common grace, the fact that he allows the sun to rise and fall on evil and good. It's common grace for all of humanity. And he, he's given this governmental authorities to punish wrongdoing and uphold civil order in our societies. Here's why. Because the total depravity of human beings, we need moral restraint to keep us from literally developing into utter civil chaos or destructive um, cultures for everyone. And so God has placed, as he says in his word, if you read it, um, for the Lord's sake, to, to uh, every human institute, whether it be to the emperor's stream or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. That this is the way that government is supposed to be. It's supposed to be for those two things. It doesn't always happen that way, especially across the world. The apostle Paul goes maybe even a little bit further in Romans 13, 3. He says this. I'm sure they'll have it on the screen as well. For the rulers are not a terror 
to good conduct, but to bad? Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Did you hear that? That's, he is God's servant. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. That God is placed... In his divine sovereignty, many times you may not understand it, I don't understand it. In his sovereignty, he's placed governmental authorities over us for our good. And sometimes we wrestle with those, that's fine, right? But he calls us in submission to Christ to submit to those governmental authorities. And we'll get to a moment in in a second, because I know it's already asking in our mind, well, when do we not do that, right? It's interesting, how many of you as, uh, or excuse me, as parents, if you're a parent in here, how many of you love Ephesians 6, chapter 1? Yes, absolutely, Alex does, I do, I quote it to my children often. If you don't know that and you're a parent, you need to go home and memorize Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. You know what that is? I was told a thousand times by my parents, right? We are called, as they told me to, to obey your parents for the Lord, in the Lord, for this is right. All parents said, amen, right? I mean, I love that, Pastor. It's awesome. When my kids are not listening, I said, listen, this is what God's word says. This, this, is, this is what you're supposed to do. And we do that because we know that God has given parents the authority to lead and serve and direct their children. And children should submit to the authority that God has placed in their lives. We firmly believe that. Well, by virtue of degree, decree, this submission and respect is related to all of us when it comes to how we approach and understand the governmental authorities over us. We are never people in this lifetime who are completely out from under or divorced of being under authority. Although we don't like authority. Anybody else out there? I think it's okay to admit I don't love authority. I've wrestled with it my whole life. But God continually brings me to a place of humility and submission to it. Now, the application here is not just to turn off our minds and just go along with everything or anything that the government says and it does. No, no, no. But it's a principle of living a holy life and a citizen of heaven that we have been commanded to have a posture of humility and respect and obedience to our governmental authorities, clearly, in Scripture. And I know the question will be asked, and maybe you're asking it right now, is... Well, how far should we submit? In in, in what place are we okay to rebel against it? Well, the answer is, the clear answer on this is when when, when governmental authorities, and we've seen this throughout the history of the church, in, in the book of Acts, and not only beyond that, is when they command us to disobey Scripture or violate clear biblical instruction. We see this all throughout the book of Acts, right? They take them in, they bring them in, they beat them, they put them in jail, and they say, hey, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to put you in prison, we're going to beat you. And they say, hey, I can only but speak of the things that I have seen and heard, right? Because they're commanding them to not do what Christ has called them to do, therefore to share the gospel, make disciples, and live for the glory of God. But... However, we shouldn't always be looking for an escape clause to get out of humble submission and obedience. 
If we don't agree with the policies or the politics that are before us in a specific political party, may we be people that show humility and respect to those in leadership, no matter who they are. Actually, Scripture goes so far as to pray for those. Show that we are citizens of heaven, distinct, living for the glory of God and the good news of Christ. When we show honor and respect and submission to those who are placed over us. And I know that this is quite challenging, I mean, even in the weeks that are about to come. That, man, in the next number of, week, a number of days, excuse me, we're going to be walking into a season where, where we don't know what's going to happen. And can I tell you, you might be super disappointed on Tuesday and Wednesday, or you might be super happy from where you are at. But in all places, God has called us to live as followers of Jesus in the coming days. And for God's sake, to live as good citizens in the place that he has called us, showing that Jesus is our ultimate authority and Jesus is our ultimate hope and all that he's called us to. And part of showing that Jesus is my ultimate authority is submitting to the authority that he gave us in Scripture. And I understand that sometimes that's hard because I don't know about you, anybody else out there, you don't have to raise your hand because maybe you don't want to admit it, but I'm okay to admit it. Sometimes I want to rip different passages of scripture out of my Bible. Anybody else there? Like, absolutely. We don't like it. I don't like it sometimes. But if we go down the road of saying, I don't want to do this and I tear out this and I don't want to do this, then what do we do with what we have in the literal word of God that has called us to live in submission to it? What about the passages that say that, hey, uh, there's only one way to Christ, and some rips out and say, no, I've been working my way through this religious cause to get my way to Jesus, and I'm right as you're right. Well, they can do that if we start taking out passages of our scripture and just rip them out and say, you know what, I don't have to obey this one. I really love the one that says Jesus loves me, he came for me, he died for me, and he gave his life for me so that I could live with him forever, but I don't like the passages that say that I'm supposed to live in such a way that he has called me to live because I like living that way. Rather, Jesus called us to something much better, and we see that even in the next verse in 15. For goodness sake, do good. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is our response. The Holy Spirit makes it super clear, the statement here, that this is the will of God. I love the statement because so often, excuse me, I've heard so many people, uh, so many young people particularly say, man, what is the will of God for my life? Am I supposed to marry this boy? Am I supposed to buy this car? Am I supposed to go to this college? Man, should, should I even put the shirt on today because I want to know what the will of God is for my life. And if I make one misstep, I'm completely off trajectory and I will never find my way in the will of God again. And I love these passages because it's just abundantly clear. He goes so as far as to say that this is the will of God. That many times the will of God is in the mundane minutia of everyday life. It's in obedience to the word of God. So the Holy Spirit makes it super clear. It says, man, this is how you are to live. So what's the will of God? As we seek to be godly citizens in our society, he says that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It parallels, uh, parallels a passage that we read a couple weeks ago in verse 12, where it says this, 
to keep your conduct amongst Gentiles honorable. So to live among non-believers in an honorable way. Why? So that when they speak against you, remember, they're in this, this place of being oppressed in many different areas. And so they're, what they're saying is, saying, live in such a way that when they speak against you as evildoers, like basically saying, making accusations, you're this, you're this, you're that, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The idea of these statements that Peter is sharing here is that if we live in such a way that we do good to our neighbors, and even those who falsely accuse us of being evil, their accusations will look foolish because they won't stick to us because of our doing good. Literally, effectively, when we live lives of doing good and the world throws mud at us, it doesn't stick. It actually looks foolish because they're like, no way, that would never be said of this person because, man, that person has seriously gone above and beyond and loved so many people in the community. You're so well-known in your neighborhood, your community, your workplace. That doesn't matter the way that you think politically or not. Man, the way that you love people who don't like, agree with you, that don't look like you, that don't believe like you. Man, the way that that person has loved me in this season, there's no way that that could be accurate of that person because that person's good works have spoken so loudly that that accusation actually looks foolish. Man, that's why I love what Woodside's been doing on Mondays out here, our campus, out in front of our building. I've always wrestled with, I always want, that if our church, one day these doors close and we are gone, does the community actually care? Or would they just be like, sweet, now there's a vacant building we don't know what we're going to do with. That every Monday... Hundreds of families come through, and it's not us, we're partnering with Forgotten Harvest, but it's just one way for us to love the community well, that if there is false accusations made of this place, people say, you know what, I don't know if I can believe that those people love us well. And it's not just in a broad scale, man, this is actually talking more of a personal way. This literally means uh, that we become extraordinarily active in doing good. And it's not just about affirming good. Can I tell you that I feel as though so many believers in Jesus right now want to affirm good and tell you what is good and what is not good. And we want to affirm good, which is great. But he's not just talking about affirmation. He's talking about actively being involved in it, actively doing good, practical, physical, lived out goodness in the lives of people that you're engaged with every single day. Christians should be the first and foremost on the front lines of seeking and working for the common good of humanity. All people made in the image and likeness of Jesus. Man, this is the history of the church. If you look at the history of church, in many ways, the story of the church is advancing the common good through literally hospitals, education centers, uh, uh, people with, with needs, their systems that we've put in place, means of caring for the poor and the needy, needy and advoice, advancing the common good. Now, can we just say, in just real quick application here, would this be said of you? Would this be said of Christianity today? That we're actively involved in these things that we should be people 
that love to serve our neighbors and then our communities and then our cities and then beyond. And we should be people, yes, man, that we care about the unborn and the orphan and the poor and the sick and the neglected and the abused and the trafficked and the oppressed and the marginalized and every person, whether in power or in great need, that we have the opportunity to serve and love. That should be who we are, that it radiates out of us that doing the common good for those around us would actually disarm them from what they maybe think about who you are as a believer in Jesus. And we, as we say oftentimes, might build bridges of love that can sustain the weight of the gospel, that when you actually get an opportunity to share the gospel, like, man, I'll actually listen to that person because they've loved me with the gospel before they ever said the gospel. That, man, that we'd be people that do good. And then lastly... In verse 16 and 17, read with me. Live as people who are free, not just using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It's a very interesting phrase. But living as servants of God. Then he has four final imperatives here, commands. Honor everyone. So I just, that in the Greek there, everyone, it's everyone. Just, it's free. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And we'll get to this one in a moment. Honor the emperor. The last thing you see is for freedom's sake, live to serve. The last two verses of this section drive us back to how we live as good citizens in the world. It's giving us almost kind of like a guiding attitude to help us see our lives live down well in the world around us, live as people who are free. Um, it's not the kind of American freedom that he's talking about. There's, that's actually a great thing, the American freedom we have, but that's not what he has in mind here. He's talking more about the freedom we have in Christ, freedom from sin, freedom from the law, freedom from the world, that we've been released um, from what holds us down, and actually we've been enabled, we've been freed to live for Jesus, to live out what he's calling us to, that we might, as servants of God, go out. And again, in this um, point of ultimate authority and submission, um, he says that our freedom is not some, like, get-out-of-jail card, that I'm free, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. It's almost like we're, we're called to live in the face of God. I can't just live however I want, do whatever I want, think whatever I want, because the grace of God is in my life. And you know what? At the end of the day, God's already forgiven my sins. You told me, Jim, past, present, and future, so it doesn't much matter how I live. No, that's he's saying we can't live like that. Instead, our freedom should drive us to actually loving service of God and our neighbor. And it should empower us to do the things that even lands on here, these last four imperatives, when he says here, the, the, the first thing, literally, that we should honor everyone. It's an, an, an admonition to actually give value and deference to every single human being, image bearer, that you live every single day life with, no matter if you agree with them on the way that the world is today or you don't. Honor everyone in the way that I interact on social media, in the way that I interact with the extremely annoying person at my office, right, that disagrees with me. I have one too. No, I'm just playing. We don't disagree 
any of Woodsiders, we don't do grant anything. Right? Secondly, we're to love the brotherhood. He's pointing us to the community of the faith in the church that we are to love, have a deep love and deference for the members of the body of Christ. Can I just say, even if we disagree, this is a hostile moment for the church and sometimes the church isn't doing the greatest job of modeling for the world what it looks like to have unity because we are battling each other sometimes just as much as the world is battling each other. But We should have a love as we go after and live with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who love one another well. Thirdly, this living for freedom causes us to fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom is that one day we live under the loving, watchful eye of God, that one day I am going to stand before him and give an account for everything that I have done. We live with that, knowing that he's a good and amazing father in submission to our king, Christ Jesus, no earthly king. I'm not going to give an account to any governmental authority in this life. Only Jesus. And then finally, maybe the greatest challenge for us today, honor the emperor. The word honor here is once again the same word used from the beginning, uh, the first verse we had here. And Peter is emphasizing, lest we forget the idea of honoring everyone, there must be a specific honor given to the ruling leader of our nation or our governmental place. It includes, speaks nobly, it includes speaking nobly of the person in the office, even if we disagree or didn't vote for them. It includes being respectful about them, their office, and the fact that one day we'll give an account, or they will give an account for being in a place of leadership. And remember that Peter is talking about that Nero that burned Christians and persecuted them, to give that person honor. Can I just get super practical for a minute? If you are here or you're watching online and I drove by your house and I saw a sign in your front lawn that says, my governor is an idiot, you are living in sin and in direct opposition of this text. I don't know how you can call someone an idiot and have respect and honor. And this is why I say sometimes my pastors are like, man, but this is the word of God. This means the things that I post on social media that are disrespectful, whether I agree with or disagree with the governor or the president or any other government official, if it is not respectful and honoring, I am in direct disobedience of this scripture. And we have to live with that. We have to submit to that because if we give up submitting to these things, we give up the word of God. And God has called us to something much better. Yes, we will disagree. Yes, we will engage. But God calls us to something much better in honor and respect and submission. And I can disagree with honor and respect and submission I saw Jesus do it in the pages of Scripture. He was pierced and murdered. 
He washed the feet of his own disciples who would leave him and abandon him and one that would even sell him out. And he stood before government officials who did nothing to protect him even though he did nothing wrong and he was beaten and murdered and broken for your sin and my sin while never uttering a dishonorable or wicked word against those who were murdering him. He is our example of how we have been called to live in such a time as this. And I know that this is weighty because in a couple of days, either we don't know what's going to happen, but my, my call for you is to be good citizens of God that we would live well under what God has placed us in for his kingdom and his glory, no matter what happens. May the people of this church show the world what it looks like to have hope in Christ. Have hope in Christ and nothing else. And sure, we may disagree with the outcome, but at the end of the day, we can do so in such a way that honors those above us and living in submission to them. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.